and when we turn around within like five to six feet away from us there's this huge circle of feathers of blue jay feathers and they're all upright all of them are upright and they're in this circular pattern and we're all standing there like dumbfounded like how did this happen like and they're all upright um i'm like oh my god in the in the moment i turned around and i saw all these feathers the moment i turned around in my heart i heard sapphire say i've got her welcome to the spirit sisters podcast my name is karina machado and i'm the author of spirit sisters women's true stories of the paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. It's wonderful to be back with you and I know it's been a while between episodes and I'm really grateful for your patience and it's always so lovely to read on social media about how excited you are for each new show. So thank you so much for tuning in. Today's episode is a very beautiful reminder of our interconnectedness, of bonds that can never be broken and of the ultimate indestructibility of love. My guest today is Texas-based lawyer Marianne Jones. Marianne grew up in a bicultural family. Her mum is an immigrant from Costa Rica and her dad is American with Italian, Swedish and Anglo ancestry. Marianne says her mum's side is, and I quote, the typical Latin family with lots of family parties where everyone dances and speaking of God and the supernatural was something that occurred in almost every conversation. Now, that's something I can relate to, so I found it fascinating that she um, shared that with us. I present it mainly as background to the story that Marianne is telling us today, which hinges a lot on how her Catholic faith anchored her in the midst of deepest grief. Marianne and her husband, Timothy, are the parents of two beautiful daughters, Aria and Sapphire. Tragically, Sapphire, who struggled with depression and anxiety, passed away at the age of 19 in 2017. Today, you're going to hear Marianne speak very candidly about the devastating loss of Sapphire and about how leaning on her Catholic faith sustained her during the very hardest moments. Amidst the pain, there were signs of Sapphire's presence and synchronicities. Marianne talks all about these in our conversation. But one moment in particular stands out. A couple of months after Sapphire's death, something happened as the family gathered in their backyard to bury their beloved dog, Sparky. What took place defies rational explanation. And to Marianne, this precious event was a clear message from Sapphire that not only was she well and happy, but that she had Sparky with her, safe and sound. Keep an eye on my Facebook and Instagram pages as I'll be posting a picture of one of the feathers that appeared during this miraculous event, as well as gorgeous pics of Sapphire and her family. 
Marianne has also sent me a very moving video that Aria just recently put together to honour her sister's birthday on June 15. It features Sapphire singing and is something very, very special. I'm honoured to be able to share it with you, so look out for that. Before we start, please note that this episode references self-harm and suicide. If you are struggling with your mental health, please contact Lifeline in Australia on 13 11 14. And if you're outside of Australia, please do seek out support services in your area. For now, please enjoy my conversation with the lovely Marianne Jones, sharing the story of how her beautiful daughter Sapphire returned to her family on wings of love. Hi, Marianne. Welcome to Spirit Sisters. Hello, Karina. (laughs) So nice to be with you. It's such a pleasure to be with you. And I have wanted to speak with you ever since I first heard you tell your story on Trapper Jack's podcast, Touched by Heaven. I thought, what an astounding experience. So I'm I'm so thrilled that you could be on the show today. Well, it's an honor to be on your show. So thank you. So your story, Marianne, is about a very significant and just beautifully elaborate sign that you received from your daughter, Sapphire, following her passing in 2017. So I was wondering if we could please start with you sharing a little bit about yourself and your family and about Sapphire. Well, okay. Well, I was, I'm from San Diego, California, and um, I married uh, at age 25. And my husband, I met him while studying for the LSAT and he was studying for the MCAT. So once we got married, we ended up uh, moving to Philadelphia and that's where he went to medical school and I went to law school. I didn't practice law because he was military. He got a military scholarship. So we just traveled around the country for many years and I stayed at home and I actually ended up homeschooling my daughters up until Sapphire was in eighth grade because just of moving around quite a bit. If I start about Sapphire, um, I'll have to say this. I was in in Philadelphia when I found out I was pregnant with Sapphire. And I, once I found out, I I go in our little kitchen and I'm thinking, how how am I gonna tell my husband? And I closed my eyes to just say, thank you to God, you know, for this gift. And the moment I closed my eyes, I saw these pink fireworks and a voice said to me very clearly, she's going to be a girl and she's going to be sensitive. I had no idea what that meant because I'm not a very sensitive person. And I, to be honest, this might be a life lesson that I was needed to learn because I, I wasn't very sympathetic initially towards people who were sensitive, I'd be like, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I mean, we all have it rough, you know, like, why can't you just take care of yourself? So this has been a very growing experience for me to have a little one who was sensitive. And I have to put this when as a baby, she was very high need, meaning I had to hold her all the time. And I didn't mind because, you know, I was, we were totally the two are connected. <laughs> so I didn't mind that, but I, so I thought, okay, that's what sensitive means. But when she got older, she didn't cry. So let's say I would get annoyed with her or mad at her or correct her. She didn't cry. So I remember reflecting like, well, maybe she's not, you know, maybe it was that sensitivity of just being, having to be held as a baby. Maybe she's not that sensitive. Cause in my mind, I always thought someone 
who was sensitive was someone who cried easily and she didn't, she kind of kept it all in and just would be kind of stoic when you corrected her. So um, just to put that out there, you don't just, if your child doesn't cry, that doesn't necessarily mean they're not sensitive. You're a mum of two girls. So yes, yes. Your, your other daughter has a beautiful name as well. Yes, my two daughters, Sapphire and Aria. And there's, yeah, there's a special story about that, but I don't know if I need to get into it right now. Well, yeah. I, go on. Okay, I will because <laughs> it shows you Sapphire's personality. Sapphire was always just uh, had a sparkle to her. She was brilliant little girl and she just was a precocious little little thing. So um, she never liked her name. Her, her birth name was Lauren. And she never liked it. It was just too ordinary, had no pizzazz to it. So she never liked it. Once she met another Lauren, that was it. Like, I want to be unique. Like, this is not a good name for me. So um, since we homeschooled and she was around 10 years old when um, she said that she wanted to be called Sapphire. And she at that time named her younger sister, who's two years younger than her. She named her Pearl. And... um, so I went along with it, one, because I, Sapphire was kind of a, a kind of a, uh, she was an introvert, kind of shy. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe this name will push her out there a little bit. That, so I played along and I started calling her Sapphire. And we called my younger daughter, who was originally named Alexa, we called her Pearl. But then finally we were able to negotiate with my younger daughter to change her name because my husband was treating too many patients who were in their 80s (laughs) named Pearl and he's like you need to change your name so she picked Aria so she went from Alexa to Aria very creative girls very creative and beautiful names and when I first saw a photo of Sapphire the first thing I noticed was her incredible blue eyes which did very much look like Sapphire's (laughs) Yes, yes, they, yes, she called it right. I mean, at the time she named herself after gemstones because she was into gemstones, but it it was a very appropriate name for her. And so, Marianne, at what point did you realize that Sapphire was struggling with some mental health challenges, anxiety, and depression? How did that, how did you realize that, you and your husband? I always had a sense. She was, uh, there was something a little wrong with her. And I always asked my husband to let's get her tested. Maybe she was on the spectrum of autism, like the autistic spectrum, but very high functioning. I mean, she, she, I could have a total conversation by the age of two with her. She was so brilliant. I mean, she could, I could read a poem to her three times and she would have it memorized. Very brilliant girl and very, talkative so at one point I was like I thought autistic kids couldn't speak well you know they were delayed so I'm like that must not be it but there was something about her that her sense of she couldn't look people in the eye Um, she couldn't shake hands with people because we're Catholic and so when you go to mass there's a at a time you shake hands and you look them in the eye and you say peace be with you she couldn't do it and I used to get like this, you got to do this. You got to look them in the eye and you have to shake their hands. And I mean, it was a, maybe I didn't handle it the right way, but she just couldn't do it. So I suspected something was off in her. 
like social anxiety, something. And I should have trusted my gut. I should have like said, okay, my husband said no and don't get her tested. I should have said, who cares? You know, I'm doing what I think is uh, as a mom I need to do, but I, I didn't get her tested. And so she was off, like there was uh, social anxiety. She, but we, when she went to public school in eighth grade, she actually did very well, or at least she kept her anxiety from us. She actually made friends and um, she, she had more friends than her younger sister. So I thought, okay, you know, all of my <laughs> anxieties about her not assimilating well into public school and all, you know, look, she's doing great. But when she was going to go to college, her senior year, she just melted. I mean, it was, and it was so irrational that it was hard to take seriously. She's like, what if I don't make any friends? What if I fail? Um, you know, in college and I'm like, Sapphire, you, you look, you were anxious before public school and then you made friends. You're going to be anxious again, but you're going to make friends again. You're the top like 3% of your high school. You're going to be fine in college. Like, don't worry. It was really hard to take her seriously because in my mind, these were not concerns founded on, on reality, but she really, really stressed about it. And she did, she was doing some self-harm at one point and the counselor called and let us know that a, a friend had reported her. And again, I'll have to say, I think I let her down a little bit because my gut was she needs therapy, like from a psychologist. And I didn't, I just let, let kind of my husband dictate that, which he, to be fair to him. He was, he thought he was doing the right thing. It was, I mean, he was following his instincts, his gut. So yeah, senior year, everything started crashing down and, and it was a very hard time for the family. It was a weight, a very hard weight. And I remember kind of like feeling this question within me, like, do you want to hold on to her and carry this weight or just let her go? And I said, no, I will, I will hold on to this weight. I, you know, life, life isn't always easy and I will hold on to this pain and this, this weight of, you know, holding on to her, not letting, not letting her go. Yeah. It was a very difficult time for all of us. And my younger daughter was kind of going through something kind of similar. Uh, she was also self-harming. So it was, it was like, what's going on? And she was, also depressed, but very quiet about it. Like Sapphire at least, or maybe because the counselor notified us, it was something we openly discussed. Um, whereas Aria, I, it was not clear that she was too. I mean, we have like, my brother was suffers from depression. So there is that part, like maybe it is in the family, but I also wonder if it was spiritual warfare. Like we, the, the girls, you know, have this propensity, like a, maybe a, a genetic propensity or, but I felt like something was very much on my girls, mm -hmm. especially Sapphire. Cause she turned from being this beautiful blonde, super, you know, academic, high achieving, she's just sweet, sweet girl. She always stayed sweet. She never got mean, but she went very Gothic. She dyed her hair black. She started wearing 
dark, ugly clothes with ugly, scary faces on them, listening to really dark, scary music. Two times I found her like with horrible, ugly makeup on singing, like she liked to sing secretly, singing, you know, and recording songs with dark, like demonic, like, and I, I should have taken that more seriously too. Like my mom was all about taking that seriously. And again, my husband's like, no, there's no, there's no such thing as spiritual, spiritual warfare, but I don't know. I, after Sapphire died, I really got serious about protecting Aria and she has really come around and she's in a wonderful place. So again, I don't know all the other, you know, exactly what caused what just listening to you tell that story Marianne it just sounds like it must have been such a challenging difficult time for you and your husband and Aria as well all of you to be in the midst of this and to see your daughter transform in that way so the inner and the outer transformation must have been extremely difficult you mentioned your your faith and I know that you're um, a deeply spiritual person Share with us about your spiritual beliefs and and how you came to them and also how you drew on them to sustain you through that difficult period. Well, I've always believed in God because I've had supernatural things happen to me from childhood. So I did not, uh, I never lacked faith in God, but I did kind of explore prior to our uh, to sapphire getting a big the big blow up in her senior year i was flirting quite a bit with new age things and i would listen to hay house and i would play this which is um, a radio station that had a lot of new age things you know and i was like i in my mind i was like i don't believe in this but i'm just curious and it's okay and again i don't know I'm wondering if something had the legal right to come in because I was like playing all these things in my house. I don't know, but I do feel like those could be portals to darkness. And I know not everyone in in your audience believes that, but I will just speak for myself. And at that time I did get into a lot. I was prior to Sapphire's big meltdown. I was into the secret. I was into like self-help through that way, saying mantras to yourself, all that kind of stuff. And when Sapphire started getting really depressed, that's when I'm like, this doesn't work. And I ran to Jesus and I was like, okay, I got to get back to my faith. But it was already weakened from all of this stuff like that Jesus was just a high master and not really the son of God. So after a few months, so I never went hard, hardcore. Like I never went to church every day, which I think, I mean, as a Catholic, that my inner voice told me, do go to church, pray before, before the, the Eucharist, you know, for adoration, connect with Jesus. That was the voice I got, but I still was so weak from playing with everything that I didn't do what my inner voice told me to do. So then I started going, well, maybe Judaism is the right. So that's, I was actually really listening to Jewish video, uh, uh, you know, YouTube videos when Sapphire died. After that, I just, I felt like, no, I need Jesus 
and I started investigating again and all these near death experiences of people seeing Jesus or people having, you know, encounters with Jesus. I'm like, okay, Jesus is real. So I really started to get closer to Jesus and my roots as a Catholic. And that has sustained me tremendously because I would actually sometimes be in like a, a fetal position in so much pain and just say, Jesus, heal me and heal Aria and Timothy, please, Jesus, heal, you know, and I would name all of us. And after 20 minutes, I would get up and I'd be like, actually, I feel better. And this happened over and over again, where I would pray to be healed and then I could get up and feel better. So it really did sustain me during that time. Thank you for and sharing now. that. Yeah. And now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Marianne, what can you tell us about April 19, 2017, which is the day Sapphire passed away? Whatever you're comfortable about sharing. Yeah. Well, okay. So that day, that day, so I was going to sit down to pray and my husband came in and he's like, can you make me breakfast? And I was like, Okay. And I, there was this tinge in me, like a guard, like, Ooh, I really wish I had prayed. And I had a busy day that day and I didn't pray at all actually that day, but I didn't, I didn't feel like I wish to God, uh, like call your daughter. I didn't have any of that either, but I did send, you know, normally I would send her a text like good night, sweetie, or something like that. And when I sent her a text, it just for the first time ever, I did think this. I'm like, she didn't get that text. I didn't feel her energy. I'm like, she didn't get that text. And I remember thinking, huh, maybe, you know. And then the the next day, my husband had a talk at some junior college about medicine or something like that. So we're I went to go watch him. And that next day, I remember this because it was beautiful. We're we're driving along and he, he has a convertible. And so I'm like, okay, I better pray for the protection of my daughters now because, you know, I didn't yesterday and I better get this down. So I'm praying for, to, for, for God to protect us, Sapphire and Aria. And I just felt so much love pouring into me. And I remember thinking, wow, that was a very effective prayer. Like that was powerful, like, like different than all my others. He did his talk and we went home and it was only until uh, one o'clock that night that the police knocked at our door because they found her body um, the next day. Her boyfriend was trying to call her and then he finally went around six o'clock and found her body. And then it took the police until one o'clock in the morning to come and tell us. And so... I had to go put the dogs away because they were barking and the police officer told my husband without telling like without me being present which really annoyed me because i heard the word suicide and the moment i heard it i thought to myself don't conclude my husband's like oh it must be suicide because she is depressed and i said don't the instinct was don't assume that for some reason it was like and you'll know like when we talk about like it it I don't assume it was suicide just yet. That was my voice, that, that message I got. And then, you know, when we started talking, I started to have like almost like, you know, and then I'm like, okay, well, maybe it was suicide, you know, so I'm starting to just, and the moment that happened, I started to feel 
like angry, like, oh my gosh, this is a week before Aria's prom. And then Aria is going to be graduating in a few weeks from high school. Like, how could she do this now? She was such a loving, loving sister. And I was like, boy, how could she, you know? And then um, I got this vision of my other daughter, maybe in a gray place, like a, a away from God, going down the creek, stepping on stones, you know, it was kind of like a message like this would have, if this hadn't happened, your younger daughter could have committed suicide and she would not be in okay. Like it was a, a gray creek and she's walking on stones and there's just void of feel like void, just gray. You know, I kept that to my heart too. And then there was like, when we were crying and we were, start, there was a certain sense of something around us too. Like I was, I mean, you, you're in denial. You can't believe it. I just was like, I, you know, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, I couldn't believe it, but there was, there was something spiritual too. Like, I felt like God, there was comfort. Maybe the chaplain that came to visit us, she was really praying for us for comfort, but there was a, a heartbreak, but there was something else there. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it further. That there was, yeah. That something else was a sustenance or a sense yeah, that... It was like it was like we were heartbroken and devastated, but there was anyone who's had like a, a tragedy and you have like a lot of people praying for you, you feel comfort. Like you feel like a comfort that is not explainable. Like, is you, yeah, that's what I felt. Like there was something there, like a comfort that I was still devastated, but then there was this, like, it's going to be okay. Like she's going to be okay. Like, I don't know. That's so. lovely. You were held, you were held by something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's beautiful. I can't imagine what you all went through, Marianne, your beautiful, brilliant daughter. And she was at college uh, preparing to study medicine. Is that right? Yes. She got accepted into that. And I think that again, kicked in her anxiety. Every time there's big change, like, so she, her senior year, total meltdown. And then, you know, we got her off to college and she started assimilating well, making friends. She was part of the helpline for Texas A&M, which oh. is a, like a suicide prevention. She was part of that and had a whole group of friends that were those volunteers. But then she got accepted into medical school. And again, that anxiety kicked in. And But this time she's not home. And so, you know, uh, there wasn't as much hands-on help with her at that yes. time, especially because she wasn't sure she wanted to be a doctor, but she didn't know what else she wanted to be. I'm like, okay, sweetie, you can be a professor. You can be a, you know, anything you want to be at this point. We were just like, and she's like, she was too high achieving. There was a part of her that was kind of competitive. Like she had to get a 4.0 and she, there was that perfectionist side in her. And so she couldn't just back away from being a doctor, but she didn't want to be a doctor. In the aftermath of this absolutely unfathomable news, how did you how did you manage to go on? You mentioned that beautiful sense of sustenance, something deeply comforting that was holding you. Was it that that you drew on to get through these days? Yes. Well, also... And now I look back that maybe this was a gift and it was, I, I had mentioned to you when I was 15, I had um, gone to, actually it was a, a Baptist winter camp 
And to my mom's great annoyance, because, you know, it wasn't Catholic, <laughs> but <laughs> I went to it. And at that time, I was about 14 or 15. I still hadn't been dating boys. I wasn't going to party. There was no, the distractions of the world had not hit me yet. I was, so maybe more 14, but maybe 15. I was just an open book and Jesus was just inside of me. And so we're sit, we're, we're singing around a bonfire and in Catholic school, they had always said, if you sing with your heart, it's like twice as powerful as praying. So when we're singing around this bonfire, I'm like, I'm going to sing with my heart. So as I'm looking at the words, I'm really concentrating on what I'm saying and, I, and I'm meaning them and just singing with my heart. And then all of a sudden, whew, something entered me like for just like a split second, like the Holy Spirit, like a sliver of the Holy Spirit entered me. And I was just taken up to the clouds and it was so beautiful. Like the love was so amazing. I actually said, uh, dear God, please stop. It's too beautiful. Like I felt like I was going to explode. Like I could not handle this. So I actually said, please stop. This is too beautiful. And so then I went back and it went down and, you know, I was back to the here and now and I wasn't feeling this amazing love, this beauty, this explode like a love I never felt so when she died I remembered that and I was like you know it's not that bad to be with God to be dead and be with God as long as my baby is with God I'm really okay with this because I know God is real and I know that love I felt so I'm not absolutely devastated so then my next thing was I got to make sure she's okay with God. And I had a hope. I had a lot of hope because, okay, now I probably have even more hope for all people. Cause I'm not as like, you have to believe in Jesus. I I'm more like open mind. Like, I don't know who's going or who's not. I'm not going to judge that. But at that time I was much more like, okay, you have to believe in Jesus to get to heaven. But um, I had taken her to a retreat for her confirmation and she had her confirmation to her her senior year in high school, actually. When she got um, confirmed, she had to go to a retreat. And when I picked her up, her eyes were glowing. She had so much faith in her. The Holy Spirit had touched her. Now, her and her sister went, and her sister's eyes were flat. Aria's eyes were, but Sapphire's eyes were glowing with a hope and the Holy Spirit. So when she died, I was like, I, she, she had that in her. So I was hopeful that she was going to be okay because I did see that in her at one time. That's how I dealt with her loss was, okay, I'm just going to pray for her soul. And I also thought this right away. I said, I am not going to let Sapphire's death destroy me because I don't want God pointing to her and saying, look, look what you did to your family because of you. Look how your family's being destroyed. So I said, Sapphire, in, in your honor, I'm going to fight hard to, to, to not let this hurt our family because I don't want repercussions like for God to see this and be like, look what you did. So that's why I really made sure to just love on my other daughter and love in my marriage, not allow myself to really wallow in sadness because it's like, no, I need to pray for Sapphire's soul and I need to help all of us heal so that Sapphire doesn't get 
she doesn't feel more sad about what she did because I'm sure she can see this and I didn't want to hurt her anymore. Your mum saw a vision of Sapphire. Was it at around this time? Yes. Um, again, you know, all these little signs. So it was um, actually right around her the time of her funeral. So <clears throat> I had to find an outfit for her. And most of her clothes were, were like at Texas A&M because that's where she was living and that's where she died. And so I had just actually two dresses. One was a really pretty black one that she wore to homecoming. And one was this white one. And at the time, I didn't know what the white one was for. And so I was talking to Sapphire in my own mind saying, okay, Sapphire, I'm going to do you justice. Like, I'm going to find something really pretty for you. And in my mind, since she was so gothic and liked black, I thought she would like the black dress more. So I picked that one. And I was crying, kind of walking through the house. And I just kind of like put the other dress somewhere. I, you know, I didn't know, actually, I didn't know where. So I took the outfit to the funeral home. And then my mom calls me that night and says, Marianne, you know, what, what outfit are you going to put on Sapphire? And I said, oh, I have this, I found this really pretty black dress. And she's like, don't you dare put black on her. That's horrible. And I'm like, you're absolutely right, mom. I wasn't thinking about this, you know, the spiritual significance or the, the message I'm putting out to the world. I just was thinking, what would Sapphire like? And she said, no, no. Last night when I was praying, I, I had, I got a vision of Sapphire. She was, she was at the door. She was with her blonde hair. She was in this white dress and she was pointing at herself and she had her, her dress had a little bit of gold in it. And I said, mom, I only had two dresses to pick from and I picked the black one, but she has a white one. I said, I don't know where I put it. I'll look all around, but I'm, I'm going to find it. And she's like, okay, we're pr I'll pray for you to find it. So actually she had called me in the morning and I had been looking all day. Where did I put this dress? Finally, I found it at 11 o'clock. I had put it in this bag and shoved it. Like, I don't know why I did that. Actually, I don't know why I did. That. But anyway, I found it and I called her and I said, Mom, I found the dress. And yes, it's got this white dress has the gold in the belt, like a little bit of gold in the belt. And she's like, oh, my gosh, you know, that's the dress I saw. So I drove like at seven, the moment the funeral home opened, you know, they I said, please change out the dress. I'm so sorry. But the, we have to have this white dress. My mom had a vision and Sapphire was telling her to pick this dress. So they did for that, that for us. And she had this beautiful white dress. And actually when my mom, like afterwards, after reflecting on it, I'm like, you know what, mom, that was the dress she wore for her confirmation. And it, we hadn't washed it or anything. She only wore it for her confirmation, but it had like the oils and, you know, it, she wore that dress for her confirmation and she obviously knew I wasn't I, I was locked into that black dress thinking that's what she wanted so she had to communicate with my mom that's a great story and it also shows that interconnectedness between you your mom sapphire because your mom had that vision at exactly the point where you're really wrestling in your mind with what what dress to pick and it, your mom very specifically got the answer from sapphire that's quite amazing Yes, yes, because I was telling Sapphire, I'm going to pick the right dress for you. I'm going to make you beautiful. And I was, I picked the wrong one. 
she was about to come and show you an amazing sign, which is the, the major story that we're about to get to. So just to set that up for the audience, Marianne, your family had been booked to go on a trip to Hong Kong in June of 2017, which is a couple of months after Sapphire's passing. Now, tell us what happened. Okay, so after, after Sapphire died, I started listening to near-death experiences. That's my way to connect with Sapphire. And um, a lot of them had pets, like people would see their pets when they died. So um, Sparky is our little dog and she had a tumor in her throat that was quite big. And as we were getting closer to this trip, she was starting to, to really go downhill, like going to the bathroom in the house, which she never did. And I thought to myself, you know what? She's gonna die on my parents' watch and they're not, this. I don't wanna do that to them. They're not, they're already hit hard with Sapphire's death. So the morning of our flight, I decided to call for a vet and get her put down. So I took her to a vet and my husband was digging a hole in the backyard. And um, so we go to the vet and they were very sweet. They had a little candle. <laughs> and so I, and they said, you can spend time with Sparky while they were getting things ready. So um, while I'm with Sparky petting her, I'm praying, okay, Sapphire, come and greet Sparky. I know that pets go to heaven too. So come and greet Sparky. And, and, you know, I was just praying, you know, talking to Sapphire and um, just letting her know, you know, just how sad I was about everything, but come and greet Sparky. And so um, Sparky um, got, you know, put down and I actually was petting her and I didn't realize she had been put down. She died. Cause I thought they, when they say go to sleep, I thought, dogs kind of fall asleep and they don't wake up but actually the moment they put the shot in they die so I was petting her I said could you please tell me when she died when she's dead and she's like oh she's already dead because it was the moment but I felt energy go through my arm just up you know because I was petting her when she died and I felt it go up my arm and out my elbow like my forearm right here so that's why I asked like can you tell me because I did feel something weird going go on but anyway so um so we rush home and my and the whole my parent my mom was actually my dad was at work but my mom was at home because they were going to watch all our pets for us while we were gone and um so aria and timothy we all go to bury sparky and we, this has to be very quick because we have this flight a, a major flight to you know we have last minute things to do so we rush out there and we put you know, soil on top of Sparky, and we say a few prayers. And this is very quick, I would say maybe 10 minutes or so, just because we really don't have time. So we say a few prayers, and we turn and when we turn around, within like five to six feet away from us, there's this huge circle of feathers, of blue jay feathers, and they're all upright. All of them are upright and they're in this circular pattern and we're all standing there like dumbfounded like how did this happen like oh my gosh like we were just praying for a few seconds we didn't hear like a, a bird die like any fighting going on and or anything like that and and they're all upright we're just looking and then um i'm like oh my god in the in the moment i turned around and i saw all these feathers the moment i turned around in my heart, I heard Sapphire say, I've got her. That was what I heard, I've got her. 
I heard that. And so then like my husband, who's not as uh, big of a belief, he's more scientific oriented. He kind of looked at it. Huh, huh. And then he just starts to run with the shovel. Like, oh, I got to put this away in the garage. And I said, no, Timothy, come back and witness this. Witness it. Because too, too often non-believers or, you know, lukewarm agnostics are like, um, uh, show me proof. But then they, they you know, I don't want to talk about it. So he came over and I said, Timothy, can you find one feather that is not upright? I said, just look at all of these feathers. They're all upright. And he's like, no. And as we're speaking, the feathers are starting to swirl. They're starting to blow away. We didn't have our cameras on us. And there was this part, like, they're just swirling away. And there's this part of me, like, if I go inside the house to get the camera, by the time I come back, I'm going to have this little, like, I don't know, eight inch circle <laughs> compared to the huge, I'm saying like six, like a, feathers of a whole bird. So whatever that is, 60 to hundred, like, you know, whatever is a whole bird they, and they were all upright and they were kind of spread out to, I would say a circle about four feet wide or, or maybe even larger, all upright. And he, so, um, Timothy's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I said, and, and so then he's like, well, okay, but we have to get going. So <laughs> I said, okay, Aria, we'll pick some fe feathers to keep as a keepsake. And so we did, and I kept a, like two feathers and Aria got one and um, we kept them as a keepsake. And I held on to that because well, one, I, I felt like the, the, the coincidence was so strong. Here I am praying to Seth telling Sapphire, please receive Sparky. We turn around and you can't explain that. And I'll have to say this, just three days ago, just three days ago, our plumber came because, uh, we, you know, we had a leak, and, you know, it's Texas, we're in Texas and we had, um, uh, you know, all this winter freeze for a little while and that yes. kind of thing. And so he had to repair one of our faucets outside. And I take them to show which one. And there's this huge, again, a huge nest of feathers of not of blue jay, but of a gray bird just lit there. But all the feathers are laying flat and um, and they're all kind of together, like in one pile and um, all laying flat to make me realize, you know, this is an anomaly that that all those feathers were upright like a blade. This does not happen naturally. That was a beautiful point right there just to and again I always think of it as a gift when I find feathers like that just that may, might be Sapphire saying hello should I talk about the hawks or not now maybe we go back to this the blue jay story yes I just wanted yeah hold the hawks for a moment please Marianne but I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about that so just in terms of who saw it it was you your husband Timothy your daughter Aria and your mum yes okay yes. and it's, it is astounding, first of all, that they're all in a circular form, that they're all the blue jay feathers and that they're all sticking into the grass, weren't they, or into the soil yes. as if they were blades of grass, like just yes. piercing the ground. Yes. Incredible. Yes. Rationally, there's just no, I mean, I can't think of anything that would be I, an earthly explanation for that. I, I can't either for all of them to be upright because I made Timothy come back and say, you have to witness this. We can't explain this. You have to witness it. Do you see one, one that's laying flat, not one all upright. And how, 
do you remember that initial feeling in you when you saw them or, or was it even like sometimes when something very unusual happens, there's, there's a physical response in the body. Like I sometimes, you know, you could get a tingle, you could get goosebumps, you could get like a little fire in the belly. What, what did you actually feel in that moment to see something that's just so incongruous? Well, because I actually dealt with the supernatural a lot, it was like, this was from Sapphire. I mean, it was like, for me, no doubt. I mean, and then I heard that voice inside of me saying, I've got her. So I was just excited. Like I got a message from Sapphire. Like this is Sapphire. Like this is Sapphire. Everyone else I think was struggling with, how do we understand this? How do we under, you know, like what is going on? Like, how can we explain it rationally? And I was like, there's no rational explanation. This is Sapphire. She came to, yeah. So I, I just knew, but myself, yeah. And of course, there is a connection, isn't there, between Sapphire and birds? Yes, yes. No, she, she's the bird in our family. I got them jewelry or anything like that. Like, actually, I got Aria a graduation gift. And you put little trinkets on there to represent different everyone, you know, the family members. So for myself, I've got a little cross because I'm the religious one in the family. <laughs> and then for Sapphire, I had gotten a bird. And then for um, Aria, I got a kitty cat. And for Timothy, because he was hard to find, I, I got a heart or something, you know, because it was hard to find something applicable to him. But she was always a bird in our family. And she loved birds. And she was the bird in our family. And then for her to pick Sapphire, like the blue jay, you know, yeah. it's Sapphire blue. So that was also uh, clever of her, I would say. Yeah. The, feathers, the feathers are blue and I'll be posting a photo on my Facebook page and on Instagram, if that's all right with you, Marianne, of the feather yes. for people yes. to see how bright blue yes. it is because yes. we don't, I don't know that we have that bird in Australia. I'll have to look that oh, okay. up. So tell us about what this encounter meant to you in terms of helping you and perhaps the other family members heal. So it was one more sign she was okay. We got the sign from my mom got that sign and I, yeah, that gave me a lot of hope because she's okay. Because of how dark she got, you know, right at the end, I was very, very worried for her soul. Like just, you know, like as a mom, it's like, okay, we got that sign, but you know, please, please. Like, I don't want a shred of doubt that she could be not in a good place, you know? So that was one more sign. Okay. She's okay. And she's kind of with us. Like she's hearing me, like she is with us. In October of 2017. So June was the uh, experience with the feathers. And in October of that year, you had another really powerful encounter in Washington that confirmed a yes. lot for you, didn't it, Marianne? What happened yes. there? Okay, that was that was beautiful. So, you know, again, I had two confirmations, but I still, you know, like, oh, I really hope she's okay. Like, you know, I do believe in purgatory. I still do. And I just, but I was like, I, I, I'm okay if she's in purgatory. I just, and I, you know, I guess human nature, right? The worry starts to come in again. So I was visiting um, my brother in Washington, DC, and we were walking through a cathedral, just looking at this just sightseeing. And I was kind of praying and I'm like, I don't feel, you know, I'm concerned about Sapphire. Like, my, I'm worried about her. So that night I have a dream and I, it was a very vivid dream. 
I, but I, I don't want to absolutely say it was Sapphire visiting me because maybe it was those concerns from earlier in the day. I don't know. But it was very vivid. And in the dream, um, she's in a white room and she's got all her dark clothes on that she always wore and her black hair. And I see her and she walks up to me and she says, Mommy, I don't feel God's love. And I said, what do you mean? What do you mean you don't feel God's love? And she's like, no, mommy, I don't feel God's love. And I said, yes, you do, sweetie. Yes, you do. You feel God's love. And she's like, no, mommy, I don't. I said, honey, yes, you do. I said, please, sweetie, just go around the corner. You're, just go around the corner and there's heaven. And then, you know, just, and then you'll be in heaven. You'll be with God. So just go around the corner. And she's like, no, mommy, I can't. And then I wake up. And I was like, oh no, this is a really bad dream. Like, this is super scary. I'm not gonna do, deal well with this. But I was like, Jesus, I need a sign she's okay. Like, this is gonna weigh on me. And I know over time, as I think about it more and more, this is really gonna weigh heavy on me. So we recite scene next day. And in my mind, everywhere, I'm just quietly praying, Jesus, please you know, praying for Sapphire Soul. And then I was just saying, please give me a sign if she's okay, because I'm not going to deal well with this. I I'm not, I, I know myself, please give me a sign she's okay. So I'm, we're just, you know, throughout the day, I'm praying this. Oh, we, you know, we come home, we go to bed and we have a super early flight the next day and we fly back to Dallas. And when we arrive at Dallas, we call for an Uber driver to pick us up. And the Uber driver he was a young kid, very nice kid. So we get in, we slide in the car and right there in the dashboard, there's a blue, blue jay feather taped to the dashboard. And right then I was like, oh, that's, you know, and so, so we're driving and um, I ask him, so can you tell me the story behind that blue jay feather? And he says, oh, it's the most amazing thing. He's like, um, I walk to my car and there's this blue jay feather, just one feather, just all by itself, just right there in front of the car, just right there. And so I picked it up and taped it to my dashboard because everyone knows that blue jay feathers are a good omen from God. And I was like, I never heard that before in my life. I said, really? And he's like, yes, God is so wonderful. He gives us signs of his love in the most creative ways. And one of his ways of showing his sign, his love for us is by blue jay feathers. And I was like, oh my goodness, let me tell you this story with Sparky and Sapphire. And so I tell him about the blue jay feathers and he gets really quiet and he says, man, I am so sorry for your loss, but I just want to say that Jesus loves you. And you need to see this from Jesus's perspective. And that really resonated for me, for me because one, you know, he confirmed it's a good omen from God. Like, yay, this, she is okay. She is okay. And then I need to see it from Jesus's perspective, meaning she was really getting dark and she was harming herself. Maybe you know, maybe if she lived 50 years, who knows who she would have become. She was making choices towards more towards darkness than light. Or at least there was, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, she was a cutie. She was actually struggling. So she was doing some, she did go to church for Easter. I don't know, but I had to just trust, okay, maybe it was for her good that she was allowed to die.
I understand what you're saying because we can't see the full picture from our limited perspective here. So widening our perspective to include, to, you know, the embrace of the divine and all of the aspects of life that we just are not privy to right now. Like even if we think about it in scientific terms, in terms of, you know, the black holes and and what they call the, the quote unquote dark matter, and it's something like 90-something percent of the universe, we just don't know what it is. I think there's always um, there's hope and there's, there's healing in, in just allowing ourselves to expand our view and think that we just don't have all the answers. Yes. I see it from Jesus' perspective, meaning maybe this was best for her. Like, I don't know what her future had a whole, in front of her. So it was that, that was the message the boy gave to me. And for me, what was so beautiful was one, it was the day after I prayed and I was praying the day before, like, Jesus, please give me a sign. I'm not going to do well with this. I knew it. And Jesus was so loving that he did give me a sign the day after like a prayer completely answered. And, you know, you can't, that's not a coincidence. I mean, we have thousands of Uber drivers in, in the Dallas area, thousands. I've never seen one with a feather taped to the dashboard, let alone a blue jay feather. And he actually gives me a very powerful message for me that resonated with me. You need to see it from Jesus's perspective and that blue jay feathers are a good omen from God. So I, I, you know, I still struggle. Sometimes I start, why, you know, why, why, why didn't you nudge me to call her you know what why you know I still struggle with that but that's my human side I think my soul really knows that that she's okay and that maybe it was for her best it's hard for me to say that because I'm like no it wasn't because it's my you know I want my baby here in this world but of course yeah accept that so let's talk a little bit more about the other ways that Sapphire has come to you since then, which you mentioned just recently in our correspondence. So there've been more dreams, I think, Marianne. There've been what you call some fun coincidences. You mentioned the hawks, some photos that you found in odd places, love notes you mentioned. Tell us all about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's the supernatural is so hard to explain because it's so hard to accept in your head that it's hard to get it into your heart. Like it's easy kind of to dismiss it because it just doesn't make sense. I have to say this with the hawk, right after Sapphire died, um, I had some friends that would say, oh, let's meet in the morning and walk. You know, really beautiful people that really went out of their way to comfort me, like beautiful. So there were hawks by the the cemetery so when i would go there would be a hawk flying around and that was sapphire's favorite bird was hawks she always said if i if i you know if there if i could if there was reincarnation i would be a hawk because she loved it and this this hawk that was like i had a nest in the cemetery would fly when oftentimes when i would be there i'd bring my my parents and it's just roaming like crazy, just going, almost saying hello to my parents. Like, and then I bring Aria, the, the hawk that time with Aria that we were there, the hawk was flying around. And then as we're driving away, the hawk flies in the middle of the road, lands there and just stands there look, and looking at us. 
while we're in our car, ready to drive away, just in the road. I'm like, Aria, I don't know, but I've been seeing hawks everywhere because when I would go for walks with my friend in a completely different location, we would see hawks like almost every single time that we would go for a walk and we would go on a weekly walk. And then in my neighborhood, I saw a hawk in this one area almost every single time. And it was, so then I was like, well, maybe hawks are everywhere. And I'm just noticing them now. It was only within that few months period. And and I rarely see a hawk anymore. And when Sapphire just died, I was seeing them all the time. And I, so I was like, well, maybe they're always there. And I just never paid attention. No, I'm always paying attention and I never see them anymore. So that was one sign. Another sign, okay. which was really, again, it's hard to explain, is her baby picture. So I, something caught, like, for some reason, something, like, led me to look at the this bookshelf that I don't really deal with. It's like, you know, for looks only, and I, I don't deal with at all. But something, <laughs> <laughs> like, so, something caused me to go there and then I go there and there's this baby picture of Sapphire when she was a newborn a photo of her and her little yeah little baby hat you know the little Mm. she's a gorgeous baby now yeah she's gorgeous and it was a newborn picture I'm like how did that picture get up there like I don't know like it's not like I have baby pictures around the house loose around the house not at all I can't explain that one so it was precious and I got it framed. And now I, we have a little area with some of Sapphire's photos and actually Aria's photos just to, you know, remember Sapphire. And I have that beautiful baby picture as part of them. Oh no. So it's beautiful things that, that I can't explain easily. A year after Sapphire passed, you actually began working in your capacity as a lawyer, as an advocate for families and children struggling with mental health issues. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so... When Sapphire died, I was studying for the, because I, you know, I graduated in 1996, but I didn't practice because my husband was a military doctor. So we moved around. So I didn't practice. And I was about to start studying for the bar, for the Texas bar when Sapphire died. So I stopped that because I was like, we just, I need to spend time with Aria and just focus on her. And then when Aria went to college and I started studying again, I passed the bar February, 2018. And I, I happened to meet uh, an attorney who did mental health work. And he's like, I'll let you shadow me. And if you're interested, you know, you can apply to the judges. And so I, I loved it. So I did. And so now I'm an attorney ad litem. And when someone gets detained against their, you know, involuntarily, because they're either a danger to them, they've tried to commit suicide, or they're dangerous to others, like they're having an episode, like a psychotic episode, like, you know, with schizophrenia or something like that, then um, they get appointed an attorney and I work with them. And uh, if we have a commitment hearing, I represent them and that kind of thing. So it's, it's in dockets. So when I have my docket week, I get about 21 patients at a time and I work with them and I talk with them and I find it very fulfilling to be just to be kind to them. I don't know, just to be kind because, and they're broken, you know, again, just to be sensitive and really try to understand that world of sensitive people who, who can't pull themselves up necessarily by the bootstraps or have a lot more trouble. And 
and just being more compassionate towards that group instead of like, I used to be like, you know, they should get their act together. <laughs> and now I'm, I'm much more like, I just want to be kind to you and work with you. Yeah. It seems like an amazing turn of events, another of those you know, synchronistic moments, really. And it does take us full circle to the beginning of the interview where you were telling us about that attitude that you had that was, you know, an attitude that I'm sure so many of us relate to, like, well, you know, let's just just pull ourselves up and why can't they, you know? And now you've, <laughs> you've come full circle and you're in your professional capacity as well as personally, you're, you're helping and supporting these people. Does that, how does that help you in terms of your, your, the path you're walking towards healing? Just to be kind to them, especially if I can connect with them, if I can, you know, if they really say thank you and I can sense that they're grateful that I'm seeing them as a person and that I'm being kind to them, I, that just fills me. I've had a few patients call me to just say, thank you. I could sense your compassion and it meant a lot to me. And that's all I want to do. I mean, legally, we work through things. And oftentimes I can, you know, maybe get them out of a commitment that I even want them to be committed because it might be in their best interest, but they don't meet legal criteria. So, I, you know, I do represent them to the best of my ability as a lawyer, but that's not the fun part for me is connecting with them and just showing them compassion and seeing that maybe that little tiny bit lifted their spirits a little bit or, you know, just be someone who was nice to them, that kind of thing. That's lovely. And no doubt we've got, you know, audience members listening who have family members who struggle with mental health challenges, anxiety and depression. Is there anything that you'd like to share with them today? Yes, two things. One from my personal experience, yeah, both actually from my personal experience is when Sapphire started having her mental breakdown in her senior year, I started sending her all kinds of videos like self-help, psychology, you know, uh, just think positive thought, you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't know, I didn't realize that I was indirectly kind of telling her, it's your fault that you're feeling depressed. And that's what is really hard for people who are depressed for people to say, you know, like, why don't you try gratitude or this kind of thing? Because it's like putting the onus on them. Like, don't you think if that, if I could help myself, I would, I need help. Like if I need more than just myself, otherwise no one wants to be depressed. So, and I regret terribly that I did that to actually both my girls. What I would recommend now is just to love them unconditionally let them know how much they mean to them so like now I call my younger daughter every single day I just tell her how much I love her and how much she means to me and you know of course maybe journaling gratitude and things are very helpful but that could maybe come from a therapist you know they need to see a therapist but the parents role doesn't need to be giving advice. The parent's role is to give love and just to let that child know they mean the world to you and that you will be hurt, you know, devastated if they died. And that, you know, you'd rather go through the pain of working through their depression with them. It's not like many times people, suicidal people think, oh, people will be better off if I'm gone. To say, no, no, I will not be better off. This will destroy, you know, this will devastate me. Please 
it's my pleasure to work with you through your depression or, you know, like that's my, I'd rather do that than deal with the pain of your loss. So please let me, it's okay. You're not putting too much on me. It's, I love you. So that's a big one to, to not give advice, but just to give love. And the second big one and is to not be in denial and to take it very seriously. I was in denial. I really thought like, you know, maybe she's doing this for her persona. Like, you know, maybe she's trying this new look, you know, cause Sapphire was kind of, you know, she liked the name. So she doesn't like to be ordinary. So I thought maybe this death thing is, you know, this Gothic look is all her new persona of getting, you know, being unique. And I thought, well, you know, if she tries one time, then I'm going to really take it seriously. I remember thinking that like, you know, if she tries one time and you might not get a second chance for one thing, right? So you don't ever tell yourself that and to take it very, very seriously. Don't think, oh, they're get, doing attention or something because uh-uh, you, it's not worth the risk. And I noticed all parents are prone to this, all, because sometimes I'll talk to a parent who of a, uh, someone who tried to commit suicide and who's being detained involuntarily. Um, if the patient gives permission for me to talk to the parent, then I can, you know, I can talk. And almost always they'll say something like, oh, well, you know, he didn't really mean it. Like he was trying to get attention. He was just trying to let us know he was hurting. And say, no, by the grace of God, he's alive. They had to do CPR on him. Do not be in denial. Do not. Yes. But I noticed that consistent approach all parents have of trying to just like belittle it because it's so painful to think my child the child I raised and put my heart and soul into doesn't want to be in this world is depressed like maybe I did something to hurt this child and so it's much better to think oh she's not really depressed or you know she's just numb or she's you know just trying to get attention but she's not really suicidal like because it's a very very hard leap for that parent to really say, my child wants to be out of this world. Like my love is not sufficient for this child. My relationship for this with this child is not enough to sustain this child to want to be in this world. Like that's very painful to accept. Yeah, so it's really important for parents to, if they get any kind of, you know, if there's any kind of talk, anything like that, take it seriously. And don't ask, you know, I almost kind of asked Sapphire, like to deny it, like, you know, please tell me you don't want to kill yourself, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, she, I could, I know myself, I was like, you, you really don't do you, you know, like that? No, because if she was such a compliant, sweet daughter, she's gonna say no, I really, <laughs> she didn't want to hurt my feelings, she could tell yeah. it was devastating me. It can't be about the parent anymore. Mm -hmm. Once you get wind that your child is suicidal. It can't be about you. Don't bring that to the table. Like, please tell me I didn't hurt you as a, you know, that I was an okay parent. No, that's out of the equation. Don't bring it in. Down the road, you could maybe go to therapy, group family therapy to see, but what you need to bring in is how, you know, how much I love you. And do you have a plan? Are you, how serious are you? Don't bring this guilt like, oh, I feel horrible. No. And I actually, Another actually a third one is um, I since I seriously think parents should go to therapy 
if they have a depressed child to get tips on how to handle it to and maybe family therapy i really resent that um none of the therapists at sapphire like the psychiatrist um she actually saw someone really for for her anxiety about college when she was about 16 for just a month i think that lady had an inkling that sapphire was severely depressed and suicidal she didn't tell me because of this privacy thing, even though Sapphire was 16 at the time, it, that does not help. Maybe you have this session with the parents and then you tell them, whatever you do, when you go home, don't, uh, don't approach your child about this. This is, keep this seek like to your mm-hmm. knowledge, like that, that you know that this is very serious. Don't start pumping her with advice. Just love on her. Let that child know how much you mean. Give, in, give follow-up instructions of how to deal with the, knowledge that your child is suicidal and one is don't attack them and kind of beg them to say no I'm not suicidal you know because you're you as a parent are getting depressed because your child you know don't a psychologist could instruct the parent on how to deal with this in the healthiest way possible and one would be don't approach the child that way for first of all and then secondly to take it very very seriously and to love your child unconditionally and support that child and talk about it openly, but without your, without you being in the paradigm. That's all very, very powerful words. Thank you so much for sharing all that, Marianne. And so almost four years on, how are you and your family doing? The pain never goes away. Never, never, never. Doesn't go away. It did bring me much closer to God. And I love that. So I do have a deeper relationship with Jesus and God. And I feel a lot of peace through that. I am a lot closer to my daughter, Aria, than I was. I'm a lot closer to my husband. And it by watching NDEs, it's really made me focus on just work on your relationships of those around you. Be kind and loving, you know, we're fortunate enough. I don't have to worry about bills or things like that, which, you know, I, so I can't speak to that, but just don't worry about friends. If they're mean to you, just still be nice to them. Like the, the little things, just yes. that kind of thing. Yes. I, like you, I love watching near death experiences, listening to them. I interview a lot of near death experiences on my show and that message of the life review, you know, is very often it's the little things that count, the very tiniest yeah. things, and to always maintain that kindness, as you say, yeah. even if it's in the face of an unkindness from someone yeah. you care about. Yeah, they're all very powerful messages. And so do you still ever talk together about that? I'm going to call it the miracle of the blue jay feathers. <laughs> Almost four years on, how do you reflect on that? Do you ever, yeah, what do you think when you think back to that moment? Oh, I love that moment. And I, I used to tell everyone I ran into because it, to me it's a message of hope. But then my husband started getting bored because oftentimes he's with me. And so he's like, please stop. Like, so, I mean, and he's not as spiritual of a person as I am. So I don't tell people as often anymore. I do bring it up to him to once in a while saying, you know, you can't explain that away. And I bring it up to Aria because they're not as spiritual as I am. Aria says she's agnostic, but we pray every single night together. So yes, everyone else acknowledges it. They don't try to deny it, but they, 
it brings me immense joy and because I just know and they're more like yeah that's yeah yeah so <laughs> Marianne so finally is there anything else that we haven't covered or any particular message that you'd really like our audience to take away from our conversation today after my that experience with the Holy Spirit when I was 15 I always thought that it wouldn't like why do people grieve so much when someone dies death is okay you know like death is with if you're with god you're everything's okay and i i feel like sapphire is very much with me it's hard to explain she's very much in my heart like there's a heart to heart connection i'm not looking for outward signs sometimes they come and i'm like whoa yay but and i don't i actually don't want her in this world i'm like be in heaven where you need to be. Like, I don't want her in this world. That's not a need for me, but I feel like our hearts are connected. Like she's, I'm hoping in heaven and our hearts are connected. So I do feel very connected to her. Very, very connected. And I can't explain that. Like I feel connected to Aria, but that's a worldly connection that I, and, and that's how I felt about Sapphire before, but this is like deeper and more powerful. Like this connection is different than the one I have with my husband or my daughter or with Sapphire before she died. There's, I think if you seek God, there's, you can find healing and, and you can, there's something beautiful about where I'm at right now with, it's a very pain, it's painful, but I feel something beautiful too in my heart. Very lovely connection for anyone who's listening, who's grieving the loss of a child or loved one, another loved one that beautiful heart-to-heart connection endures. And that is probably at the crux of all of my work, doing these interviews and writing my books. And I so thank you for coming on to the show today, Marianne, to share the beautiful story of the Blue Jays, your beautiful girl, Sapphire. Uh, we honour and remember her today and thank her. And, um, and I thank you for coming on to share, to share your story of enduring love. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. And thank you for for wanting to hear Sapphire's story. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Thank you you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. <laughs>